You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast, a podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now, here is your host, Andrew Lowen. Sean here, opening this week's episode. Today, we continue our conversation with Ori of Kagan Productions, where we talk about when do you spend $10,000 on a Kickstarter video? Hope you find it helpful. We've talked about how to save money on video production. But then let's say someone who has the budget to invest in you know, a highly professional video, but we've just given them a bunch of tools and tips on how to do it cheaply. Why then would they come to you and invest all this money in producing a video when they might not necessarily know if it's going to generate a return and they're going to get their investment back? That's a very good question, Sean. And... I, we've been talking about this until now about, you know, the story and Craig bringing people into your world and generating the hype. But I find that if someone comes to me and asks me flat away, what you can, what can you do for me? And this has happened to me before. I realize this is not the right kind of relationship <laughs> um, because my videos will not make a campaign succeed. If people are counting on just a crazy video with crazy visuals to turn the needle from, from not funded to funded and overfunded, it, that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. I pretty much equate like high-end videos, the premium, uh, premium packages, to pouring a lot of gasoline on a big fire. Mm-hmm. Okay, And make it goes boom and everyone around the fire starts dancing and going crazy and, and partying and that's... That, that's what it equates to, and that, that can't be measured. How can you measure people dancing? It's like people just go wild with, with excitement. And this happened to me. Let me, let me pose the question as, as, as uh, I did in the beginning. This client came to me, and he said, um, I loved your video. I saw this video you made. It was fantastic. How much does this cost? I want this for our campaigns. And I said, well, a video like that? that will cost you 10k and i stayed silent i'm always silent after i say that price just just to gauge your reaction and see if they're comfortable with that and he said wow okay that's way more than we paid for videos until now i couldn't help but wondering why not just pour all that into paid ads i know how much i'm getting back from that i can measure that and my answer was why don't you and I'm afraid the conversation ended there. Well, what do you think? What's the answer there? It is a uh, a very interesting premise because so the idea is that I if I can measure how many emails I receive, you know, for every dollar or you know, let's say I, I get an email every two dollars and fifty cents that I spend on Facebook ads. So if I I could I could in theory get four thousand emails if I get. $2.50 per email off of that $10,000 uh, of ad spend versus spending 10000 with you to create a, you know, the most awesome epic video in existence for a Kickstarter uh, project. And so uh, just to kind of restate the question, the question is, why would I invest money in a video when I could invest that money into ads? And there are... So I'll say uh, there are two kind of places that my mind goes first, just to kind of arm us with information so that we can tackle that question. The first place is how much is the total budget? 
Because if your total budget is $10,000 and that's it, then you should not be buying a $10,000 video, <laughs> right? I, as, not as you have already covered. I would literally say no and refuse to. Yeah. So then it's a matter of your ability to scale. So that's kind of what that comes down to. So if I have $10,000, I need, you know, we talked about before, we've talked about hygiene factors, which are the essential elements of your Kickstarter project that you need to have. And if you don't have them, you're, you're going to lose the trust or lose the faith of backers in your project. And they're not going to back. Review videos are very common. You know, a review video from a trusted source, I'll say. You know, something like Dice Tower or Quackalope or Man versus Meeple. You know, there are there are a lot of them. Rolling Solo and One Stop Co-op Shop. A lot of a lot of good, you know, A tier or B tier uh, video reviewers that you really need at least one of an A tier and one of a B tier, so that people say yes, this person's not embarrassed of their product. They're willing to share it with the big boys and you know, despite what they may say. Right. And uh, that's the, at least the illusion is that they'll, they, 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 a lot of people think that way that costs some money. Then you've got, of course, your pre-marketing and your email list. People need to know about your game before you actually launch. You need to build a crowd in order to fund. That's pretty, that's kind of, you know, it's in the name, very important. And so you need to devote a portion of your money to you know, Facebook ads and, and other, other things like that. Then, you know, you've got other types of things that may be very important, like professional graphic design for your Kickstarter page and, all, you know, all of the things that are involved in that. And then we can go on and on and deeper and deeper. So the question is, if, if that person has $10,000 and that's it, you, they would need to divide that differently. You know, you need to divide that up. Now, the, the thing is, let's just say, we spend in one month's time $3,000 in Facebook ads. That's about a hundred bucks a day in ad spend. And your first, let's just say off that $3,000, you do hit that $2 and 50 cents mark to, you know, to kind of keep it simple. You know, you're going to earn roughly like 1200 emails from that amount of money. I'm just kind of shooting from the hip with stats, but I think that it's kind of close. You know, let's just say now you decide to double it. You're like, oh, that was effective. Instead of 100 a day, I'm going to do $200 a day. So the first $3,000, let's just assume it, it's going to perform the same for you. And you get $2.50 per email. But the second $3,000, you know, we're talking about going from three to six. What is the, the first $3,000 does the same, but what does the next set of $3,000 do? It's not going to do as much. So mm-hmm. you might earn emails at $3, $4, $4.50 an email. For, you know, if you were to, if you were able to split those apart and get your second, you know, hundred dollars a day investment and see what, what result there is. If I could just butt in a good example of that, because something I've noticed with Facebook is that if you have a reduced ad spend over a longer period of time, you get better results. It's when you have a higher ad spend in a shorter period of time is when you actually get worse results. An example of this, we have one of our clients and we spent two so we have weekly spending and we spent two hundred dollars less than we usually spend so we spent 200 less what what do you think the difference in the profit or the gross was comparatively i wonder uh was there from the week from the week from week before so we spent 200 less 
but we only made $8 less. <laughs> so we basically saved $200 by not spending that $200. And we were wasting money because we were spending too aggressively. And I think there's just, there's, there is limiting factors with Facebook ads. You know, people, you can't just pump, keep on pumping and they're not going to, because there's people on the, like their algorithm is designed to put ads in front of you at a correct time to maximize your ability to actually engage and take action on them. So there's not, those times are very limited. Throwing more yeah. money at it isn't going to present more of those opportunities necessarily. So I think that's a, that's right. a good thing to keep in mind with, with Facebook ads. There's limit, there's diminishing returns, there's limiting factors. Right. And actually, you know, to, to use this. Um, so recently we launched, um, we helped uh, Thunderworks Games launch Dawn of Ulos, which is in their role player universe. And it was a really fun project to work on, project to work on. had a pretty big funding goal and they, they funded on the first day. A few minutes from midnight, I, I heard, I hear actually there is, it was like $60,000 for that funding goal. And, you know, they, they had like 900 backers or so. We, we spent 200 bucks on launch day. It, rather, we were willing to spend up to $200 on launch day. And it was a Tuesday. Tuesdays are, you know, if you use Kickstarter as an interest, there are, you know, it's Kickstarter Tuesday. There are more games that launch on Tuesday now than any other day of the week because it's Kickstarter Tuesday. And that's just the thing that everyone has generally accepted now. Uh, whether that's most the most effective data launch is not uh, something that I'll get into, but not right now at least. But the um, the idea is that you know you want to spend money on your launch day so that as many people can find it that you know as possible and that you can do as the best you can. And by the way, we are getting back into like the why spend on you know 10k on a video when I could spend on ads. Like this is all it all matters uh, to to that to that initial question. So uh, we spent 200 bucks, and or rather we were willing to spend up to 200. Facebook actually only spent 186. So demand a refund. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there was, well, I mean, you know, we saved $14 because there wasn't in, there weren't enough people online to absorb the rest of that ad spend. So what we did was uh, reduce the ad spend and we received a somewhat, you know, a little bit less, but similar enough number of impressions. And so it, tends to be something that where there are clearly diminishing returns. And that's the, you know, the first, you know, major piece of the puzzle is that there are diminishing returns on ad spend. You can't spend a million dollars on Facebook if you, you know, it's just not really possible in, in this, you know, at least as a board game, you know, if you were like a t-shirt or, you know, whatever, some other, you know, more mass market company, a beauty product maybe, but we're talking about the niche of Kickstarter and a product like board games, right? So there's there's a finite number of people interested. There's also a finite number of people online that day. A lot of people are probably interested that are not online that day, or rather not online when you're spending ads or ad money. And so, you're, you know, it's just, that's kind of how it works. But those people over time, to your point, Sean, are going to, they're going to log on to Facebook. Maybe they log on once a week, but if you spend 20 bucks a day, you're, you know, for seven days, you're much more likely to find that person than if you spent $140 in one day, right? And mm -hmm. so uh, in addition to this, you know, so actually uh, another example I'll use real quick, Ascension Tactics is a campaign that we did back in, uh, I want to say like 2020, or maybe it was like early 2021. And we spent, they wanted to spend a thousand bucks on their launch day. And we had similar results. We spent, you know, somewhere around between two and 300 
And that was all that we, that there was, I mean, they were getting really excellent numbers for their, uh, per click and everything, but they just, you know, there wasn't enough, weren't enough humans in that category to, um, to get to their, to their site. So anyway, the idea is that there is a diminishing return. So if you have a sizable budget, let's say you have a $10,000 ad spend budget or, you know, even a $3,000 ad spend, there are going to be more effective ways to, to spend that money. The other kind of major element that I think is kind of the, maybe, maybe I could split it into two, but I was going to say conversion rate is the, is the, is the other major component. You, you have a certain number of people going to your landing page. However, many people there are, you can bring a million people, but if your conversion rate is 0.1%, then it's not going to generate the same results, right? <laughs> so the, the idea is that you want to give, um, like we talked about hygiene factors, things that will cause people to have trust in you. Those things, in essence, they increase the likelihood that somebody will back the project because they give, I guess, reasons for somebody to back, right? They check boxes that are important. Um, I need to be able to see a rule book. I need to be able to see if there's a tabletop simulator mod that helps me. I need to be able to see the GIFs that move and show me how the game actually works. I need to be able to get that story and what this game is about. Who am I? Why? What am I doing? Why should I care? I want to know those things. And what is the cost of the game? All of those factor in. You really are crafting a pitch on Kickstarter. That's what you're doing. You're saying this game is worth your time and it's it's a better bet than all of the other games out there. If you are like this person, or if you like this type of game, then this is the absolute best product that exists on the market. And you're making a case for that. And if you don't feel that way, then you have to find a way to, you know, it's either not a worthy product to go to Kickstarter, or you haven't yet found your, your core niche that is hard, like very passionate about this product or this type of product. Right. So I, I think conversion rate, a great video will convince more people. People, it won't bring more people necessarily on its own, but it will convince more people. One thing I'll add is with a high quality video, it has more uses. So with a video that you spent 10 grand to produce, you can then use that for an advertisement for you know, coming up to Kickstarter. You can use it in, on your actual Kickstarter page you can use it, throwing it on YouTube. And we even use it in the pledge manager. So I remember we have a particular client and he had one of these Kickstarter videos and he has two factions. And I was able to just cut it up in such a way that I could split the frame between you know left and right. And you had the faction here and this faction here and you kind of just loop it. And on Facebook, you can create a poll ad and you get people to vote, which faction do you want? So you kind of repurpose the videos for, for your needs throughout your campaign. So I think that that's something to think of as well. It's an investment and it's not just for your Kickstarter. It's going to be for your pre-marketing. It's going to be for your pledge manager marketing. And it's going to be after the fact. It's actually, I don't like the, I don't like when clients hand us videos that say now live on Kickstarter or coming to Kickstarter because it limits when you can use that video. And on Facebook, if we were to change the video, it removes all the data points, all the, all the uh, social proof on the ad. I prefer just to have their website perhaps or some other type of call to action because of that very reason. We can then keep the ad running throughout the entire campaign if it's if it's generating results. Yeah. So there are, there are certain types of campaigns, ad campaigns that we would run that would be that you would be able to to directly measure, and those 
are not necessarily the same types of campaigns that generate interest. So these, this is a common thing. I think I've talked about this before on the podcast, but I had a, a client called TV Ears that, you know, they, I, I ran tons of Facebook ads for them or not Facebook ads, sorry, Google ads and a lot of Google ads. And we dominated for their brand name and they wanted to dominate for their brand name. They would have a ton of searches every day for their brand name. It's kind of like an as seen on TV product. And they, uh, but the people looking for that brand name for their product, it, it was, um, they might see it on a store shelf and be looking for a cheaper price, but the generators of interest were actually um, print ads in magazines. So when they would drop a big print ad in a, in parade magazine, they would generate a ton of searches and inquiries for this product. And uh, you know, they had tons of magazine drops they would do every week, you know, more magazine drops, neighborhood magazines, big national magazines, like all sorts of stuff. And that was what generated the interest. But the Google ad campaign, as well as the Google organic stuff, captured the money, right? So it's like, why would I need to drop all of this, all of these, you know, spend tens of thousands of dollars on magazine ads when instead I could just use Google and, you know, sell a $60 product for $10 of ad spend. It's right. funny. It's funny you mentioned that because it reminds me of something I encountered this week, where I was running a campaign that was designed to generate leads or email signups, and I was, it's prospecting, so it's finding new people to try get email signups. But in this particular account, we also were running ads which were designed to get sales, and I had ones that were based on retargeting. And what I noticed was that these lead ads were generating huge amount of sales. And the reason why is Facebook at attributes the the sale to the first touch point. So if they've had a touch point with that lead ad, it's going to attribute the sale with a retargeting ad to th that to that lead generation ad. So it was, it was just interesting to see that this ad that was not built to, to sell, it was built to generate emails, <laughs> was actually making lots of purchases because down the funnel, the retargeting campaigns were picking it up. So it was just interesting. Yeah. To see. It just reminded me of that where it has this knock-on effect that you can't you you don't necessarily suspect. Yeah, it's funny because the, the to that front, I know it's like getting into the nerdy weeds of this, but I, I with that same client, I um, with Google, I would always use the quote unquote last click attribution model. This attributes the sale of the product to the very last click that person made, or to, uh, to the ad rather. It credits the sale to the last ad, the most recent ad. The person clicked. I would always get tons of questions about reporting. And that was like a big element of, of my job was to report on why this ad was better or that one or so on. And the and then I switched to a model that was first click. So the first thing they clicked was the one that generated and it just messed everything up. And then I was like, let me just, I forget there was one that was like a weighted click. So it would give like 0.2 of uh, out of out of one to the credit of the first ad and 0.8 to the most recent ad and it would weight the various you know pieces of the of the equation in a, in a different way and it just an attribution model that just threw everything into chaos and it was so confusing it's like you know let's just use last click and then think with our brains about what generated that click and then we have to use a little bit of an estimation to you know like we have to do some 
human work, you're never going to be able to use a computer, any kind of system, any kind of you know app to tell you or to give you a perfect story. Google Analytics will tell you one thing. Facebook ad interface will tell you another. The Kickstarter interface will tell you another. And it'll, it'll you know, they all tend to credit, uh, give greater credit to their own, I guess, their own products. Like Google, uh, Google Analytics will give greater credit to Google ads than <laughs> Facebook ads, right? So, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it can get quite confusing. And if you think that you have enough information to make meaningful decisions based on the data alone, I think that that's really, you're missing a lot of the point. And I, um, and, uh, we actually talked to somebody that had a, a similar concern. I, I did, I had a zoom call with a prospective client the other day where we had a similar concern. And, um, I'll say that I, I know who that client was that asked you that question, Ori, <laughs> and it was the same client that asked me, uh, the question, like, how can, like, can basically, if I gave you. $10,000, how would you like get me return? What, what kind of return can I expect? And I just said, well, it, it, it does depend on how we use it. It also depends on what else you've got going on because we wouldn't just want to like throw a 10 K into Facebook ads. If you're already spending some on Facebook ads and you spending on a bunch of other stuff and then missing something in a key area, then that would definitely be my area of focus. But if it was a brand awareness thing, that you really, really need, you're not going to be generating that good, great, solid return on ad spend from the the money that you'd invest. Although you will be capturing it with those other mediums like Facebook ads, right? So anyway, it's just a it gets it gets really really messy. What uh, I know it was a lot, but Ori, was, what are your thoughts uh, off of all of that? So what I'm hearing that that. I could no, I could hear literally hear you talk about because this is like something I know very little about the little minutia of ad spend and and just hearing your bank of knowledge is just amazing. But what it, what I'm basically hearing is that ad spend and you know paid the, the whole side of paid ads is not a machine which you pluck in a dollar and it does what you want it to do. It's not something that you could just throw all your money in and it would make your chances better. It can, but I love this term that you use, the human work side of it, that you have to know where you're putting your money and knowing how to spend it correctly to essentially do what we're all been talking about, which is telling your story. And telling your story is who are the people that will want to listen to the story and where do they hang out? Because you mentioned people that just don't use Facebook. If you're using like if you're doing like a, a game that's for children and you're targeting uh, uh, grandparents that want to buy them gifts would you put the ad spend on facebook i, ma I imagine not <laughs> and if you're doing a crazy epic uh, uh mini heavy uh, game then that's that's a different person i guess it's just it's just a really a matter of setting goals setting a vision and a mission to what what are you basically trying to achieve and from there, working back, and you, you've mentioned this in your previous podcast, the, the, the planning backwards from your goal that usually manages to get you to the smartest decision that you need to make. So a million dollar campaign, if you were hoping to make that, should have a different brand marketing uh, initiative, uh, ads, video, and 
a $10, a 10,000 or 30,000 goal that you're like, that's amazing. I really hope I could just get to 30,000. Then, you know, we, we can bring this to life. That should look completely different. Is that, did I get that correctly? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, that's, that's a great, those are great conclusions to draw from, from all of it. You know, I, I think in the end, if I could boil it down as simply as possible, it would be certain marketing initiatives are going to be easily measurable and others are going to be difficult to measure, but both, you know, I mean, you know, let's say I'll, I'll apply this to, you know, uh, an example that most of us will, will use at some point is Facebook ads are easy to measure, but board game reviewers, while I personally consider them essential to the success of a board game Kickstarter campaign, um, they are not easy to measure. Like the return on that investment is not easy to measure. And so it doesn't make them any less essential, but you may get a bunch of direct traffic or search traffic on Kickstarter. That's probably one of the best, you know, ways to kind of quantify this whole thing is like, you're going to get a bunch of people finding you and your Kickstarter campaign or game found or wherever it is that you go, but uh, they'll th that search for you. But the only way that they could search for you is if they knew your project's name and they discovered that somewhere, they saw enough content to make them interested enough to search, motivate them to search. But where did they find that? What made them interested? And why are they, you know, looking at your campaign right now? Um, it could easily be through a reviewer's video. It could be through somebody that shared your project with them or that said, I think you would like this project. You should go look it up. But what is the initial motivator, right? And so that's one element. And then the other is, you know, kind of related to your video. When somebody does get there, what is going to convince them that they should back? And I will tell you that a certain percentage of people will be initially convinced by a high quality, awesome Kickstarter video. So Ari, do, and we probably should be wrapping up pretty soon, but do you also do videos for video games, like Steam trailers or anything like that? Or is that something you've tried? That is uh, what I hope to achieve one day. That's That perhaps can be the next step. I never want to abandon the board game space. I'm just too in love with it. But I always love to take do something crazier and crazier, take my videos to the next level. I, I cannot do uh, you know, a template and just make the same video over and over. And eventually I know I'm going to hit a ceiling of what I can create and what the need is for a board game video. I, I could never, for example, charge a, a 25K video or 50K. And I've had people, you know, professional people see my work and hear how much I charge for it. And they'll tell me I'm crazy. This type of work, I know clients which would pay 250000 for a video like I did for Skyrim, for example. And that obviously made my jaw drop on the floor and I had took me time to recover. <laughs> but I'm always hoping that eventually I could reach those higher lofty uh, uh, um, industries which do have budgets and they do need it. Again, this is all about selling something that someone needs and not trying to, you know, selling something he doesn't. I will never try to create something that would not fit the product I'm trying to promote. And video game has a bigger, bigger audience. 
and a higher expectation, especially with those crazy cinematic videos we mentioned Blizzard before. You know how much money they pour into those. So that's a whole nother level, which one day, hopefully, I'll manage to uh, achieve. That's awesome. So now any other advice that you might have for somebody looking to either, you know, put a video together on a budget or just any anything that, based on what we've talked about that you would like to add? I will do my best to give you the rundown of this as, as much as possible, my philosophy for writing a good script. And because a blank page is the most daunting piece of document you could ever look at. Okay. It's very, very hard to start writing a script. What I want to tell, how do I want to tell it? Looking at other references, writing, deleting, writing, deleting. I've been there. So the way I work with my clients and I found this to be the most effective way, I said, give me a shopping list of the most exciting things about your game, the things that get you excited. Don't think about anyone else but yourself. And that's immediately, that's something they can pump out without even thinking. And using these exciting points, we try to find out where it's a story and how we connect this to everything. But trying to also tier them according to be what would be the most exciting to still exciting, but you know that could be an upsell that could change my, my uh, opinion at the end if I was on the fence. And that's the weight we give each of those uh, items in the video. And it suddenly it becomes very, very clear because essentially you I think you've mentioned this before in your podcast, but you're making a game for yourself and someone like you. That is your target audience. And I would draw three circles for my clients, which I would say, okay, the bigger, the, the smallest circle inside, that's your super fan. Okay, that's that's the guy that would scream your game and would share it and would would uh, promote it as much as possible for free because this is will be his favorite game. Around it, you have your casual fans, people that this is the type of game they love. Uh, they would play it very oftenly, but they would probably back the game and you know just wait for it to arrive. And then around that, you have the biggest circle, which basically just goes the general market. Anything that would you know he was interested by the theme or by the art or by a specific designer, so we'll back it. But that's your general market. And I asked them, who do you think the video should be pointing towards? Okay, which one of these circles? And some people say, you know, the bigger circle. That's the biggest audience. I want to, I want it to go for everyone. And I believe the opposite is true. The moment you're telling a story to the person that this would be his absolute favorite game. And you tell him the first thing that you tell him was it will be the thing that excites him the most, which is the thing that excites you the most. He's going to drag everyone else after him. He's going to basically shine this beacon. We always want to watch a, a movie or a story about a specific person. And the moment he's an interesting round character and he has these quirks to him, that's when we connect to him. The moment it's a flat character and it's a boring character, then that's it just we don't care what happens to it. And the moment we figure out that this is something truly special to someone, that's when we start getting attracted to it. And this is coming from my love to cinema, my love to video games and, and, and everything. That, that's what attracts me. And that's why I fall in love with my product, projects, essentially. And I always like go the extra mile and... Yeah, it's it's basically why I do what I do. I I, uh, I like that answer a lot. I think that 
marketing to your hardcore fan, really the whole thing that we're talking about here, you know, you can't outspend the the money that, that, you know, Facebook will take from you. You know, or I mean, I, I, maybe I should rephrase that. You can't, marketing is a black hole. And if you choose to throw $10,000 into it, your $10,000 will be gone and it will, it will take every penny you've got. The real key, I think, is using money as a tool to excite those raving fans. I call them alphas, you know, where people that buy and back, back games on Kickstarter, I, I think in general are alphas, not like, you know, the quarterback terminology that we use for the alpha gamer that, you know. It's a brave new world. Yeah. <laughs> but I, what, I, what I'm talking about is just those people that are the first person to buy or to invest into a board game, even though they've never played it before, they've never heard anything about it, they've just read a few things, it looks fun, they're going to try it. And if those people like your game, they will tell their friends and their family. And those people go to game nights, they have, you know, weekly game night at their house, or they've got, you know, a monthly meetup or some kind of thing, or a board game focused network of friends and family that are on their social media that will listen to them. And these are people that you will not be able to reach with advertising dollars. I had, you know, I think I mentioned this story before, but when Deliverance went live, we ended up uh, getting one person that was like super excited that contacted us. That was like, yeah, you know, I've got like, I got, I've got a small group I go to with my church and um, it's got like six people in it and I've got five of them to back the game and I'm working on the last guy now. And it's, I just thought that was so, I was you know, kind of wondering where are all these people coming from in the mid campaign? And that's when he reached out to me and just wanted to encourage me. And I just thought that was so funny, you know, that I'm sure that half those people don't even have a Facebook account, you know, and yet the marketing was effective enough that it reached them, you know, and that's because, you know, we, we really tried to market to that, that core, you know, raving fan. So thanks so much again, Ori. And so where can people reach you? Where can people contact you if they're interested? Well, I guess the easiest one would be Facebook. Uh, you could either write on my uh, friend me. I'll see if you like board game. I know a lot of board game people. And uh, the moment I make connections, then I'll probably friend you back. And you um, are in the, the crowdfunding nerds community. So that's another place. If they do, do a search for you there, they'll find you. Definitely. Um, also you can go to my, uh, Kagan productions, uh, uh, Facebook page, uh, where you can also contact me there. And I have my website, which is uh, kaganproductions.com, my YouTube Kagan productions, uh, just Instagram Kagan productions, everything's Kagan productions with the duck and the terrible pun. Uh, <laughs> and if anyone is interested in the kit, that's, uh, you could also get to it through the website, but also at, uh, uh Kagan production store. Um, we'll put in the show notes as well for people to check out um, do you guys want me uh, I'll do like a, a promo card for a promo uh, code for anyone that listens to the podcast so they can get oh that would be great yeah sure. I think that would that'd be, be nice. wonderful yeah I'll, I'll do uh, I'll do a promo code and uh, yeah we can put it in I the show it. notes awesome. yeah we'll put it in the show notes and then and then we'll share it to the crowdfunding nerds community as well yeah. that would be really cool well that's all the time we have for this week's episode of crowdfunding nerds for more resources, articles, and to listen to past podcasts, please visit us at crowdfundingnerds.com. Thank you all again for listening to this week's episode, and we'll see you next week. Stay nerdy.